Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Calmel, here to lead a ragtag group of gunslingers and fighters across incredible and overwhelming odds. Steve is unfortunately not here this week, but I'm joined by uh, an amazing group of knowledgeable coaches from Vanguard Tactics. They are, at least for today, the Vin Tanner, Bernardo O'Reilly, Harry Luck, Chico and Britt to my Chris Larrabee Adams. They are Ben Jones, Michael Costello, Kyle Grundy, Matt Laura, and Nick Kiever, all coaches from the Vanguard Tactics Academy. How's it going, guys? Good, Dave. Awesome. Doing great. Yeah, loving it. All right, so uh, some of you guys have been on the podcast before, some have not. So uh, let's just go around our little virtual room here and uh, you guys each introduce yourselves and uh, let the listeners know what your faction specialties are. So uh, we'll start with uh, Matt. Go for it. Hey, um, I specialize usually in anything with pointy ears or in golden custode armor. Uh, so I know a lot about the new Eldari Codex, and uh, that's usually where I'm, my main focus is. Cool. Uh, Mike? Hey, guys. So um, I'm sort of a Marine Death Watch aficionado. been running them for some time now. Um, but I do have a, a broad view of a, a lot of different factions, but uh, mainly Marines and Death Watch for me. Uh, all right, Ben. Yeah, hi guys, Ben. Uh, again, similar to Matt, anything with point years, Jakari, Aldari, and some Harlequins as well. And then I've been known to play almost any army on and off. That's me. All right, Nick. Yes, uh, Nick Kiever, uh been with VT a couple years now, and it, my faction specialty is primarily Admech, um, with I dabble in Necrons and Custodes as well. And last but certainly not least, Kyle. Yeah, I'm Kyle. Um, my faction specialty is uh, everything and all things greater good, whether it's the Farsight Enclaves, the uh, Outer Enclaves, Tau Sept, who knows anymore. But yeah, I've been playing Tau now for uh, half my life. And uh, it's the only faction I play. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, before we get into uh, the, the big stuff, I got to do my, my pregame uh, uh, acknowledgments. So uh, we want to th- uh, thank our sponsor, Siege Studios. Uh, as always, a massive thank you to Siege uh, for their continued sponsorship of our podcast and Vanguard Tactics in general. If you want to have your entire army or even just a single signature centerpiece model or just one single particular unit of your army commission painted, look no further than Siege Studios. I strongly encourage everyone to check out their content online, on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, they do amazing work, and it's just worth it to look at their stuff. So thank you, Siege. Uh, and uh, as far as uh, Vanguard Tactics announcements, I just want to remind everybody that uh, tickets for the Bay Area Open Workshop uh, are on sale now. Just go to store.frontlinegaming.org and search for Vanguard Tactics. You'll get both options will pop up, the standard and VIP workshop tickets. Uh, the standard ticket gets you access to the workshop, which is a couple hours of great hands-on practice with Steven. Michael will be there and another VT coach, Chris. Uh, the VIP ticket gets you that, plus some VT swag, and you get to go to dinner after the workshop with the coaches. Plus, you'll get access to the Vanguard Tactics Discord channel, and Steven will review your, your list and give you some of his feedback on it, and you'll get access to three separate Q&A sessions with Steven before LVO next January. So it's that's a great deal. So check that out, sign up before the tickets sell out, and it'll be really informative, helpful, and it'll actually be a lot of fun. And last but not least, please like, share, subscribe, give us a five-star review, uh, help us with those uh, SEO, and uh, get the word out about this podcast so uh, we can get some more listeners in and uh, you know keep spreading out our philosophy of uh, 
sportsmanship and fair play. So, and thanks again, guys, just for listening. We really appreciate it. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback. Uh, and, uh, I love it. I, I love being able to help you guys out with this stuff. So thanks. Now, gentlemen, enough of the appetizers. Let's get to the entree. Um, <laughs> the balanced data slate obviously came out, uh, about a week ago. Uh, they've already, uh, did a slight upgrade to it a couple of days ago because they took off the stuff for nights and then put it back on. So we'll get to that. But, um, you guys have all had a chance to review it. At least some of you guys have had, I think, a chance to, to play test it a little bit, um, uh, I got in one practice game with it so far with uh, against my wife's uh, Sisters of Battle, and that Armor of Contempt is no joke. Uh, we will get around to that in a second. So um, right now I just want to go around um, and get everybody. You guys just give me a one or two sentence thought, thumbs up, thumbs down, yay, nay. You know, Is this a good thing for the game? Is it not a good thing for the game? Uh, so we'll, we'll go around the room again. Um, but before I do that, I wanted to make it very clear because, you know, there are all those negative Nancys and Twitter trolls out there who want to whine and complain and think that we're shilling for Games Workshop. You guys are all, each of us, it, none of us is a Games Workshop employee. Um, one or two people might have an NDA with Games Workshop. Uh, but we are we are not employees of Games Workshop, so we are getting, giving you guys honest opinions today. We are not giving you corporate line BS. So, uh, all right. So, with that, um, just a quick sentence, one or two lines, update, yay, nay. Uh, ben, start with you. Uh, I think the changes are fantastic for the game. Uh, the Armour of Content is going to bring a lot more factions back in to the game, try new lists and uh, even look at armies, how to counter it. And also, I love the change to the indirect fire. So that's going to bring a lot of armies back to the game as well. Cool. Uh, Kyle, is is the change to indirect fire going to end all of our lives in the greater good? I actually like it. Um, I think from a standpoint of... A veteran in the game i've never seen one document shake up the meta in such a way that when you're creating lists you don't know what to create to go against it's been a nightmare for list building but it's been a great exciting time to see how the meta is going to change and how it's going to vary up and also for future things potentially to come because games workshop have never done this before so this is great yeah, yeah it's a great mental exercise um all right nick thoughts yeah, I think it's wonderful. Um, aside from the competitive aspects and how it's healthy for that, I think the bigger thing is entering, new, entering new people into the hobby and going to events. Because what they did with it is they took out some of the feels bads with you know the bodyguard sitting out there, indirect fire, doing what it's doing, beefing up Marines, which let's face it, a lot of people have Marine armies with the Army of Contempt and giving chaos a little bit. So that's one of the things I think they hit the nail on the head too is helping people not be as intimidated by those that competitive scene, getting out there and getting rid of some of those field beds. All right, cool. Uh, Matt, thoughts? Um, I think it's honestly one of the best documents we've had for the competitive Warhammer scene. I will say, in my honest opinion, there is one small gripe I have with it, with the removal of obsec from some of the custode stuff, because I felt like that was a core part of how it set them apart from other armies. Um, I will also say... Um, something that went over a lot of people's heads was during the same update that they added in the knight's obsec back in they also clarified the wording on the imperial guard uh new rule where they uh, auto wound on sixes to hit it uh they clarified that it no longer works on tempest to scions in that document now uh and i do also play guard so that was uh, actually a pretty big thing that got changed okay well cool well, yeah we'll get to those specifics in just a second but uh that's a good catch i hadn't even noticed that they that they had done that so uh and uh mike your thoughts well what can i say um massive update huge balance to the game 
We're going to go to tournaments now and see a much bigger variety of armies. Power Armor is back. You know, Sisters are back. There was a point where Sisters were really good. We were seeing a lot of them, and then they dropped off the radar. Uh, I'm excited for a lot of people to actually be able to go to a tournament, be it their, maybe their first tournament, their second tournament, with maybe some of these basic armies like Marines, and be able to play fun, engaging games. Uh, even if, you know, they lose, they're playing against, you know, veterans, at least they stand a good chance of getting through three, four turns of the game. Yeah, instead of uh, having half of your army removed by the somebody's alpha striker by the end of turn two. Uh, cool. Sorry. Um, and let's get so let's get into some of those specifics. Um, obviously, the on the first for those following along at home, the first thing on the page is the armor of contempt, uh, and I think that's while the indirect fire and the bodyguard have had the have had a lot of chatter. The armor of contempt seems to be the biggest single change. Um, in, in of anything like like Kyle said, this is a massive. Uh, uh, shake up to the fundamental operation of the game uh that i haven't seen in the in the you know 25 plus years i've been playing um and uh it really it, it it's it's fantastic to see them change something without just slamming points around and doing doing points changes so um mike since you're the you're the uh the death watch space marine representative for today and the faction expert what how has armor of contempt how many practice games have you got with this since they've released it? And um, how has it um, changed things for you? Uh, so I wouldn't say I've had any practice games necessarily with Armor of Contempt, but I have uh, sort of taken the Death Guard on stream and I've seen how effective Armor of Contempt can be for those guys. And I think um, they sort of epitomize the strengths of Armor of Contempt. So Terminators, massive boost to Terminators, an innate two-up save, now you hit it with AP2, that makes it a three-up save because of the Armour of Contempt, which is a huge buff in survivability. And of course, Armour of Contempt does stack with cover as well. So suddenly, anything with an innate two-up save that's a Marine or a Sister of Battle, and of course, doesn't have the shields and exceptions, is going to be sort of invulnerable to AP2 weaponry. You know, because they've got a two-up, they're in cover, reduce the AP, add one to the save cover, they're on a two-up save against AP2, which is incredible. Um, I think, you know, there's a few other changes in there as well, but Armour Contempt uh, is massive. And we look at Terminators, we look at some of these infantry, but don't forget that some of these vehicles are back in the game now. Dreadnoughts, you know, they used to be killed a bit too easily when there was a lot of Dark Lances in the game, AP4, etc. Dreadnought's now getting a six-up save against the Dark Lance. That's a massive increase in survivability. And AP3 weapons now, we're getting a 5-up save. So we don't need the invulnerable saves anymore. We're all good to go with this armor and contempt on all of our vehicles as well as our infantry. And do you think that people are going to... We're going to start seeing more tanks, predators, gladiators, things like that showing up in competitive now with, with armor of contempt? I actually do think so. I think there are some choices out there. Uh, the land speeders, the Primaris land speeders, I think they're... Decent choices for Marines. Uh, I like to see them on the board. Gladiators, especially the Gladiator Reaper. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and I think we're going to see a bit more of the Space Marine vehicles outside of Dreadnoughts as well. And that's very exciting because I do love them and we need to see more vehicles on the table. Absolutely. Uh, ben, uh, you uh, you are you were a big fan of the Drakari last season and the... Uh, uh, Mike's comment about Dark Lances. Uh, are Dark Lances still a thing, or is this... Uh... The last balance update that up the points on the Raiders for the Dark Lances, 
I actually took all of mine off and put disintegrator cannons on because it makes them cheaper. And actually, I think it's... I quite like the disintegrator cannon into this new armor content because it's a minus three damage two weapon. So you're still going to get them down to a fairly low save um, and more volume of fire. I think there's so many bad sides to like single shot weapons now with like Aldar, like Fate Dice. There's going to be a lot of sisters back in who could just auto get a six. So single shots aren't as valuable. Like if you're playing against like Oathway or something and you can get lots of the um, Fate Dice, single shot weapons aren't great. I want to be shooting more shots. So that's my thought on the armor contempt from a Drakari side point. Okay. Like dark uh, lances. Speaking of single shots, uh, Kyle, heavy rail rifles, rail guns. What, what did you say about Armor of Contempt? I mean, it's lovely that you would think of the hammerhead. I'm yet to take a hammerhead since the Codex has come out, but maybe, just maybe, a long strike might come out to play every now and again. But I think the good thing about Armor of Contempt is it, it forces a tile player to A, use stratagems to make your AP go potentially to two to three. Um, it also means that you can't just roll loads of dice and watch an army disappear. Um, so it forces an interaction point in the game, which is only good for the health of the overall balance. So I think Armour Contempt brings the Marines back, and it also means I still get to stomp them with lots of other shots, mass shots, or like you said, might be taking some rail rifles on Pathfinders or maybe the odd hammerhead or two. So there's options. It just, again, nice balance to the game. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I was a fan of the the Pathfinder rail rifles before Armor of Contempt, and now they're still going to be a very nice. Um, they're a nice addition to um, what before was just a oh Pathfinders. They're just marker lights, but maybe there's better ways to get marker lights. Now I'll put I've got three rail rifles in my Pathfinder squad, and they will they're doing some work for me. Yeah, the rest of you guys put your put your marker lights out, but the other seven of you put marker lights out. But three rail rifles will put a herd on a dreadnought or you know, certainly pick off a couple of custodies or, you know, do a hurt of something. It means you'll use the coordinated engagement strat more often because you're not just automatically doing it with monk car or the old monk car, should I say. So yeah, right. again, um, use strats and use your book rather than just rolling dice. Yeah. Uh, Nick Admech, speaking of volume of fire, what, what are your thoughts on Armor of Contempt? Let me take you back in time to a time when the Admech book just first came out. And there was this faction in there called Lucius of Forge World that you got an extra save. <laughs> and that people were taking 20-person Skitari blobs with toughness three, four-up save, and um, put them in Lucius, and they would teleport them forward. And Lucius, you could make them transhuman, so check, Space Marines can go transhuman. <laughs> you can get cover plus the extra save. Well, check now, Space Marines can do that. But now we're on T4 bodies, and three up base save instead of a four up. So, you know, in that world where Lucius was so strong, now you could also ignore AP one and two on those uh, Skatari, which was big because it put them on a two up save. But in perspective, I think that's going to be the strength that's been lended to all these uh, Marine armies now. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit of an overshoot. I think it's good. See how it plays out. And then the, that's the great thing about the balance updates. They happen again. I mean, what may happen is the same thing that happened to Lucius where the cover save goes away, right? You can't stack it with a cover save in shooting. Um, so that's one of the things that I think we're going to find is just to put it in perspective of how strong this is, 
anybody that played against those Lucius Skitari blobs kind of knows how that went. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, some factions are like uh, Thousand Suns I'm in particular concerned about. So as Admech, you use your Rust Stalkers, you go up, you know, you can buff up the strength and attacks and you can get that AP3 of one damage. But against Terminators in uh, Thousand Suns, there's still going to be a three up save against that AP3 on all those attacks, which is, I mean, Rust Stalkers just delete everything. And uh, now even with the Mortals, I'm a little concerned of just how much I can do. I'm doing a test game this weekend against Thousand Suns, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but those are some of the things is just to point out how powerful the armor contempt is. And with all that said, I think it's great for the game because bringing out those things and we have a chance to correct if it's an overcorrection at the next balance state. Um, but it is, uh, if we look back at history, it is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Craft Worlds, what, what, what is your, are you just going to be shuriken catapulting everybody uh, off the table still or, or what's the plan? Uh, so I actually don't use a lot of shurikens in my current list that I've been working on. Uh, I'm very aspect heavy. I have one unit in my army that uses shurikens, and that's my unit of 10 Dire Avengers. And funnily enough, they actually don't really care as much because of their AP2 and 6 of Wound or AP4. Um, but it does give the rest of my army a little bit of pause with like my Bright Lances and Fire Dragons now having to worry about Dreadnoughts having a 6-up save where it's no longer like a guaranteed kill of Fate Dice. I have to respect that they do have a save and there is a chance they can live. Um, and there is a change I'm actually looking at making uh, in secret. I've uh, been looking at a unit of Wraith Guard possibly with D-Size. Um, their AP minus 4, the Immortals on 6 is the wound. Uh, I think that'll catch a lot of Marine players off guard. They're like, the, they rock up a 5-D-6 shots at strength 10 minus 4. That's a... Uh, put a lot of Marines down. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's, and, and that right there, your comment right there is exactly why overall uh, from the grand scheme of things, armor of contempt is a good thing. Everybody has, has agreed that there are ways to deal with it. There are options, but now you kind of got to go back to the drawing board and adjust your list a little bit to see, all right, how am I going to deal with this? It's not an ungainly thing. It's not every Marine player suddenly has, you know, an extra 200, 300 points to play with because of point adjustments or something. It's just a, what you have, is just going to be just that 16, 17% maybe more survivable. It's not going to end the world for all of the other factions. It's not going to suddenly mean that, you know, Mike's um, climb back to the top of the death watch in the world again this year is going to be a given, but it's going to be, it's going to like, it's going to make those Marine players. They're not going to walk up to them and go, Oh, I'm playing somebody other than Marines. I'm just going to not bother setting up my, my stuff. Cause I'm, I know I'm going to get tabled first turn. So, which was happening a lot. So, uh, all right. So let's move on to that next one, which, uh, indirect fire, indirect fire, obviously that was a, that's a big one. And, um, it's a big change. And, and I'm absolutely like, like Kyle had mentioned earlier and I'll, I'll turn it over to you in just a second, Kyle, but I, I agree with you 110% as a fellow Tau player. I love this change because I like indirect fire. I like it. It's a it's a useful tool in in combat and in, in war in real life. It's a useful tool on the table, but it is something that GW has struggled with over the years because you know once upon a time we were dealing with two inch and three inch blast templates and scatter dice and for a while there was I don't remember what edition where you had to guess the range to where you were going to put the template down and all those sorts of things and 
I used to actually piss off my best friend because I was really good at eyesighting uh, the the ranges from my whirlwind to where I was going to put my three inch blast template. But all of those things, they've, they've moved those things around and we're, we're slowly moving into a thing where indirect fire is functioning the way it should function, which is it's a useful tool, but it's not something where you should be able to pick up half of your opponent's army in the first turn or in the second turn because you just position everything right and they can't see anything, but you've just bombed them off the table. So uh, Kyle, what is, is, is indirect fire completely removed from Tau play or is it just something you have to adjust for now? So it's something you have to adjust for, but in the majority of your lists, it's going to be stripped away. So my take on it when I first saw it was a little bit bitter. I was like, I was hoping they'd maybe go down the direction of you can only hit on fours and no rerolls. With a minus one ballistic skill, it hurts Tau even more. Because I know that Guard get away for Scott Free for now, uh, but Tau are also in that BS4 bracket. So minus one ballistic skill can stack with any other minuses. So efficiency point of view, it takes it away from Tau. So one or two things you do to change that. You either stick with your airburst, but just be hyper-aggressive, maybe put shield generators in your crisis suits and ram those crisis suits down your opponent's face. You can still get your efficiency, but you have to play the game. You have to interact. Um, the second thing is you just take it out completely and you use other units to dig your opponent out. And I think that's the way that it's going for me and my lists. In terms of the indirect, we have lots of other units like smart missile systems on various vehicles. You might just take the gun drones now or the burst cannon. So again, it changes the way you design a list. Um, so overall, I am happy because when I got that new codex, I was looking at all these different combinations, but I couldn't get away from the fact that the airburst was so efficient that why wouldn't I take it? So I was missing out on half of a book because this particular combo was oppressive. And like you said, you roll up to the table, just take off half your enemy's army, and it's not longer a game. And I didn't enjoy that. I like to win, don't get me wrong, and I like to have close games, but I couldn't have close games when I was just not having to think and just roll dice. So I think it's great but I think that maybe further down the line, um, if it is too oppressive and you don't see an indirect, they might change it again, or hopefully. And I think it's a positive indication that they are actually thinking of these things and maybe they'll change it to hit on fours with no rerolls. We don't know, but it's becoming a living and breathing document. So we'll see about the future. But I'm overall, I'm happy that indirect has been nerfed because it forces more skill than just what can I take to beat everyone. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see sort of a retroactive action by GW to make the internal balance of a single doc of a single codex with res, with respect to Tau suddenly elevated so much more after the fact they were able to raise the internal balance of the codex by doing this because like you said it forces you to go back it forces you to look at other stuff and I still like playing with a single Skyray because if if you're gonna do the indirect you got to get that marker light on something and that marker light will essentially negate. The, the penalty you're suffering, you're still rolling on a four plus. So I'm not super thrilled with that, but you know, I, I'm not going to quibble over it because you're not doing it that often anyway, other than, other than somebody who's, you know, I put the sky in initially because I wanted to use it to shoot, to, to counteract against um, PBCs. Plague Wars hmm. crawlers were, were a pain in the ass last year because everybody was putting out three of them. And I was like, all right, great. So I got this sky can actually put some hurt on a, on a single, at least one Plague Wars crawler and, and weaken it down. But you still needed that that marker light on it to to do that. So, um, Mike, I know you you play Death Guard sometimes. 
is is the change to indirect fire going to combined with armor of contempt is it something that marines are just can indirect fire psh, don't care or is it still something to, to keep in mind i would say that in general um if you look at all of the the buffs you get against indirect fire marines probably come off as some of the best uh in terms of saves now custodians of course as well fantastic save they usually didn't worry about indirect anyway but with a marine now if you're you know let's say in cover on an objective at the back of the field someone shoots you with say hive guard hive guard uh ap2 you know obviously i know that their rules have changed and they need synapse to be able to shoot out of sight now but ap2 Okay, they're shooting at a unit that becomes AP1 because they're Space Marines and those Space Marines are in cover, which the Hive Guard do ignore. Okay, and there's a lot of um, a lot of indirect fire that doesn't ignore cover, but these ignore the cover, but because they're shooting at something they can't see, you get that plus one to your save anyway. Right, so you're essentially on a three-up save still with a Marine against Hive Guard. You know, and if you've got a two-up save base, even better. So it's pretty nuts the fact that you almost negate the entirety of an AP2 out of line of sight weapon. Um, and I'm sure, you know, the Eldar players among us here have things to say about Void Weavers, etc. But as a Marine, I feel a lot safer now having these little units that I spent 100 points on sitting on objectives um, and not being able to contribute to the rest of the game because they can't die from indirect fire. Yeah. Uh, Matt, indirect fire for the Eldari. Uh, so I've actually been saying since the Eldar Codex came out that I thought that the support weapon in Night Spinner spam was a trap and it was actually making the Craftworld armies worse than they could be. And um, I think I really did a good job showing that at the last tournament I went to where I took none of it and went 5-0. And people were coming up to me like, why don't you have any indirect? I'm like, I don't think it's really points efficient. And now with these... Uh, nerfs to the indirect it really pushes that home and a lot of craftful players are starting to realize that hey these aspect warriors in this book are actually pretty strong uh ben same uh same perspective the list that i took the all way list that i won the event with i did have two night spinners i used to really like the night spinners just for especially for killing drones on tower was the main thing <laughs> but uh i i agree with matt i mean i wouldn't take them now i think there's too many people get, especially all the marine power armor, get too good a save. Um, and from a Jakari and Aldar point of view, my little units I'm not worried about indirect now because they're going to be minus one ballistic skill. A lot of my stuff can get minus one to hit very easily. So a lot of stuff's going to hit it on fives, fours, fives, and then I'm going to get pluses to the save as well. But it's also made me look at other things like I've been playing around with a few lists where I've got some. Of my list, I've took out quite a few of the dedicated transports and I've just got like 10 incubi on foot behind a wall because you got the fight last guy in the middle of it. There's nothing then that's going to shoot it uh, away. And then you've saved 110 points on a raider. So you've got another unit. Um, so I've been looking at stuff like that where you just sort of ditch a lot of the transports as well. Still got a couple, but I've been looking at ways where you can save the points because... You're not worried now that stood in your own deployment zone. You're just going to die. Okay. It makes a big difference to it. Mike, did you have something else you wanted to throw in? Yeah, I just wanted to add, obviously, we're, we're saying that indirect isn't you know amazing at the moment. I just wanted to say that, obviously, some indirect weapons are still good. And it is, obviously, worth having indirect 
in the list for particular uh, situations. You know, maybe you're shooting something that has a six-up save normally, like an orc, a witch, or a hormigant, something like that. And I would also say that, you know, guard, obviously that's sort of the next uh, next bit in the balance state. So the guard that ignore all of these things. Um, and there is, you know, a, a lot of people complaining about guard indirect, especially manticores being AP2, which becomes AP1. And then, of course, they're in cover, so a Marine has a three-up save against it. Manticores, which were sort of the backbone of Guard currently, now seem less effective. And I would say, if you're a Guard player, you want to start looking at boosting your AP, you know, even Basilisks, or looking at other places where you can ignore cover, that kind of thing, because they're going to be your your keystones for getting your indirect to still be effective in the game. Okay. Kyle? best to have something rather than nothing as well so yeah you might not be as efficient but at least you're getting some shots off rather than none at all so yeah. it can still weight of dice and you don't know um the opponent might be really really bad at rolling two up saves <laughs> yeah and sometimes all you need you know if, if you have like you said volume of fire all you need is just to creep through a couple of wounds just to just to pick off one last model or just to start taking you know, one or two models out of a squad, which really with indirect, that's all you want to do anyway. You, sh- you shouldn't be picking up entire squads with it. You should be picking off a couple of models, weakening the squad before you get direct fire on them or before you charge them with, with rust stalkers or something. I think we need a, I think we need a universal strat, like just airstrike, you know, that's indirect fire that removes the unit. Everyone's got access to it. Let's go. Oh, don't tease me. Damage don't two. tease me about airstrikes. <laughs> we were we were just before we we started recording. Bring in blast templates. You, yeah, <laughs> blast templates. Oh god. Uh uh but um Nick, were you ever a fan of the 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 Belarus uh indirect fire cannon for the Admech or is that just something you Admech doesn't I didn't see a lot of it except occasionally with somebody who was just really building for eradication of flesh. Yeah, I've seen people in uh Europe kind of lean more towards the um disintegrators. I'm not a big fan of them because, I mean, one is just the AP1. So even before these changes, AP1, somebody standing in cover, it's still not great. Uh, so, it, and, you know, the number of shots is a little unreliable. So I haven't had them in my list in all of ninth edition since the new book. Uh, so um, from there, and the other thing is on the flip side, it's, I think Mike hit it a little on the head. It's was the indirect potency combined with stuff ignoring cover. That's really what would put it over the edge. Um, and so like rust stalkers are kind of back on the menu outside of transports and stuff because they get that extra save as benefiting from cover. So um, if there's going to be less potency in the indirect, then you can start using more of those units outside of transports, kind of like Ben was talking about. So that's my view. Overall, I think this is a fantastic change for the game because where I started with is kind of those feel bad moments. You, you could see people feel defeated when the airburst showed up and then, you know, a third of their army was gone at the event turn one. And you could just kind of see them at the rest of the event kind of just feeling that. And so I think it's all great for the game. Yeah. I'm feeling this is very targeted towards towards me here. <laughs> <Airburst>. Yes, <laughs> you <laughs> in particular. You, you just, yeah. I, I will say just, this on the other my side. Face, just my face on a poster <laughs> with a line through it saying, no. <laughs> Hey, it's, you, it's you and me it's it's you and me both kyle because i the the one event i played so far since since the tau codex came out i was like running around trying to find somebody to, to 3d print some airburst uh projectors right so i i took one squad of crisis three-man crisis with double airburst to the last event i went to and i was i was guilty of it a little bit i didn't go beyond that with the indirect but i did have that squad of 
yes, I'm going to sit back and I will use this because it's a yeah. tool in my codex. But I, I, I didn't go above the unit of three either. <laughs> he says he says with a wink. <laughs> I will say this though to wrap up. I have played against Matt in his aspect warrior list, and I think he hit another good point. Is I think some people were using uh, indirect as a crutch, right? And now that they're going to look into the codex, I think you'll find stronger options. And I really like Matt's list that he's been playing since the book came out with Eldar. So I think that's going to be good for the meta and good for people to go back and kind of not use the indirect as a crutch. And it will let the stronger players really show their talent as well. Yeah. All right. Um, and just real quick, just, and I mean, we don't really have, I mean, nobody plays Imperial Guard and you know, it's, I do. I I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was actually a shot at Mike, but uh, I didn't know that Matt does too. Uh, no, it was a joke because I mean, there has been an uptick lately in at in uh, IG people playing at, at events even before this balance update. So, um, uh, Matt, would you agree that the the um, sort of carve out exception in the data slate for for Imperial Guard having uh, not suffering this nerf that everybody else does is that effectively a buff for for Astro Militarum? Uh, it most certainly is. Uh, I would definitely say if that nerf hit Guard it would really, really hurt them more than any other army. Because whereas Tal, you could still get your marker lights, you can get your rerolls with your commanders and stuff, Tal can still kind of do the indirect thing with the nerfs. But if Guard got hit those nerfs, like, I can't imagine hitting anything. Ever. <laughs> yeah, full, full, even full payload manacores would be struggling to do much of anything. Yeah, you shoot a... A Dark Eldar boat, they lightning fast, you hit it on sixes, and you kind of feel sad. So I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't even bother, would they? They'd just take 300 conscripts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so moving on to the, the bodyguard rule, uh, something else that obviously there's going to, you know, uh, Kyle and I will be the, the targets of this probably the worst. Um, but... Uh, uh, Bodyguard rule change. I think it's a good thing because I can say when I was playing last year, when I first started getting into competitive play again, uh, post lockdown, one of my first, first or second game I had at an event uh, was against uh, Thomas Bird, who's a big uh, Ultramarines player. And what did he do? He had uh, Bobby G out there right in front, Rebo Gilliman right in front of a, a building. And why couldn't I target him with any of my firing? Oh, because he had two Victrix guard tucked in behind a building three inches behind him. And I was like, well, that's a lot of nonsense that I will not use the correct language for that I want to share with on this kid friendly podcast. But um, uh, yeah, so bodyguard rule. Um, I mean, uh, Nick, bodyguard is not something that, Admech has, correct? Or am I forgetting anything? No, yeah, there's no uh, bodyguard uh, in the codex. But what I would say is um, this is a great change for the game. I mean, it's it's another one of those feel-bad moments like you just described uh, there. And, you know, it was so important that people had to leverage it in their gameplay. So it was too powerful for people just to not take it. So you, you saw it coming out there. I think, again, this is a thing that's going to reward skilled play that it's coming out of. And from an admec perspective, uh, my latest list has nine uh, of the Cerberus Raiders back in it because people don't have to protect their characters again. So 
Um, looking forward to seeing how they do and get familiar with it as well. Though, though, whether it's the the, the sniper dogs uh, or um, Tau sniper drones or um, uh, uh, eliminate space marine eliminators, sniper rifles are still not that big of a fear factor. It's still not. Yeah, everybody's kind of sh- shrugging, making the face. It's like, eh. I I wish that sniper rifles did with like a good sniper rifle should be strength seven, negative four AP, and just one damage. Just that's fine, or two damage. Put some hurt on it, but I should be absolutely sure that when I shoot that character, he friggin' feels it. So let me uh, put some perspective in the ad mech, what those dogs can do. So you buff up their strength with artisans. So now they're strength five. They're a, they're a base AP one. You can give the um, manipulus buff to make them AP two. And then you run them as Agrippina and in half range, they get an extra AP. So now they're strength five, AP three, one damage, 18 shots, and every six to wounds, a mortal wound. So you are picking up characters. Plus, let's not forget they have a 12-inch pregame move, and then they can advance and shoot without penalty and hit on twos because you're in the proper Doctrina or you use the Canadian Thrall net to put them in there. And if they're Mars, they just slap six mortals on top of you as well, on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, if they're Mars, you run Wrath of Mars. And so I've been running that um, out there, and it's uh, it's picking up a lot of stuff right now. So it's strong. So Admech, from this benefit, I'd say I agree with your position on a lot of the other snipers. Um, but the Admech dogs is something people are going to have to watch out for because they're so fast, and they are very potent. Okay. All right. Uh, Matt, uh, sniper rule and bodyguard for uh, Craft Worlds. What are your thoughts? As far as the bodyguard rule, Crawford only had the Seer Council, which was absolutely awful and almost no one takes. So I don't really have any nerfs there. But uh, I will say the uh, the benefit of actually having Rangers be able to shoot more characters now is not nothing. Uh, people often like overlook them, but um, Fate Dice exists, and if I have three wounds sitting there, uh, sixes there, there's three mortal wounds and three saves at minus one, uh, and it definitely can catch people off guard. So I'm actually kind of excited for uh being able to shoot characters finally again okay uh mike i i i had a spectrus kill team last year five eliminators try to shoot a hospitaler she wasn't near her bodyguard so she wasn't near you know near the the sacristan so i she was fair game i couldn't even kill a hospitaler with five eliminators in one round of shooting yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie that doesn't really surprise me um, and you're still not going to be able to now with Armor of Contempt. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, of course, with Death Watch because we can take kill teams, take five eliminators, then combat squad, and we've got five eliminators in one squad. But when you when you do the actual math hammer, you start looking at it and you're getting you know four hits, maybe uh, three wounds, AP two, perhaps AP three in Devastator Doctrine. You're not doing enough damage to usually kill a character out there. Lots of characters have an invulnerable save, um, and you're probably spending a CP to reroll one of those saves if you have to as well. So realistically, for your points, you're probably not getting enough bang from your buck. I do have to echo what Nick says. I think they're probably the only exception is those Admech um, dogs for sniping characters. I can't think of any other uh, fantastic example. Um, and as Matt said as well, you know you can't ignore 
these units now, if you've got a character that's been through a bit of a combat, let's say Drizar's been through a bit of a combat, he's got a couple of wounds left, because let's be honest, guys, killing Drizar is a massive pain. He's got a couple of wounds left. Suddenly those rangers just pick him up. You know, there's a, there's a chance now for snipers to actually do something. And I think that in of itself is very, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, ben, are you feeling uh, attacked about references towards Drizar? No, I love Drizar, but come on. <laughs> yeah, he does have to die. I do agree with everyone. If you're playing against Jakari and you get a chance to kill him, kill him. You'll kill half your army if you don't. But um, the only bodyguard Jakari had was the Slifts could bodyguard the Archon. I mean, it it it, it, it doesn't matter that it's gone. Uh, the one change I do like, though, is now the bodyguard's gone, you can't um, charge and ignore Overwatch with it. Because I'd bundle the Slifts up, advance them up, then the Archon charges and he's un, he's unshootable. So now, like, because he used to be able to charge, like, say, Carl's got a big block of Flamer crisis suits. You could literally switch that Overwatch straight off without even having to sacrifice anything. But now, obviously, with that rule change, you'd have to put something in to die first. Yeah. Um, Something, something's getting sacrificed to those Flamers first. Yeah. Before, yeah. Or, or bring strats back into the game with, like, ignore Overwatch. I agree with all the lads here that the the ad mech is the best uh, benefiter from the sniper change. The I've played the nine uh, horses when we played in the England tournament, and I, I was killing vehicles with them, you know, and any character that I could see in the open that I could shoot because I was playing Mars at the time. I pretty much pick them up five or six wound character. They they didn't have any way to hide. You pretty much die which is quite big in a lot of the games now. Like if you can take, um, I've been playing a lot of Aldar recently. If you can take the Farseer out or you can take Drizar out or you take, you, you know, you take Doom Farseer out. Oh, where's the guy with Doom? He's there. And you just go. It's almost worth it as the Admech player to sacrifice all those horses to get rid of Doom. I don't know what Nick's the same. Like when he's playing his um, Admech, he's going to have chances to just wreck a game plan for somebody. You've got a key chapter master or something. If you can really take him out, it's, it's a big buff. Yeah. That's my okay. thought on it. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. Absolutely. Uh, and it's something that people should consider, you know, in their in their list building and in their, you know, their their threat prioritization. Uh, Kyle, obviously you and I never abused the bodyguard rule, hiding a crisis bodyguard team behind a building and hung out a commander to do any of that. So this this doesn't affect us at all, does it? No, I mean I didn't have a bodyguard unit behind a wall with airbursts. I don't that that's ludicrous. Why would anyone do that? No um, one would do that. <laughs> no, I think um everyone's kind of touched on the main points. Um I'd like to touch on a, a separate one which I think is great for the game. Five objective mission, there's none of this shenanigans now where you'll have something behind a wall, you put a character within 3 or 6 depending on bodyguard aura and old tau sept could abuse that. Sit him in the middle. I've got a 3-inch heroic. You can't target me. If you want to play stranglehold, you have to come and deal with me. That doesn't take any thought. That's just plonk a model in the middle, of the middle of the board and be protected, and then you're a combat beast, so then you get to do your key thing that you want to do. So it stops all of that, um, and it means that they have to actually push units in front. And we talked about Crisis Bodyguard. You know, I'm not going to say they're a completely dead data sheet, but it means that if I want to benefit against these dogs, you know, these horrible admet dogs that are going to kill all my support characters and then it's game over, I might have to put a unit of three bodyguard in front. You know, it, it it's, it's strange with Tau because the bodyguard data sheet is 
a bit rubbish because it only has three hard points rather than four. So with it now that you can't, it's lookouts there. Mm, but maybe a unit three, or if you really want to spam crisis suits, you can take them. But the bodyguard rule in general, like my first point, it's great for the objective playing game. There's none of these shenanigans that people will pull. Um, so yeah, it again creates that kind of more getting rid of the field bads, like you mentioned before. Yeah, it, it and and you know people always say that Tau only play in two phases of the game: movement and shooting. But this means that we've got to be on point with that movement and with that shooting. You you know, and that's everybody's going to have to be even more. This game is a game about movement, shooting, and combat, and roll, dice rolling is fun. But it is your 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 game is won and lost in your deployment and in your movement. And if you're not careful with those things, especially without something like you know a crutch like bodyguard. You 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 have to be much more exacting and detailed in your movement, or it's going to cost you. So, uh, all right, so let's get into some of the faction specific stuff. I won't beat all of it to death. Um, the uh, I can say the Adeptus Sororitas changes were fantastic. Uh, my wife, you know, like I said, we did the one practice game last week. She's playing. She switched from Bloody Rose to Valor's Heart, and both of the changes um, combined with the Armor of Contempt really gave her some some lasting benefits. So I can say from personal experience being on the receiving end of it, those improvements are are solid. Um, Astra Militarum, um, uh, Mike and Matt, you guys are, are, are you know, acknowledged uh, to being um, IG players. Um, and by the way, if anybody wants to see some, some great uh, Imperial Guard painting, check out Mike's uh, Instagram. He's got some, some really good stuff on there. But um, the Astra Militarum changes... Uh, just give us a, a quick sum up, Matt. Um, are these going to really help? But pre pre ninth edition codex. Okay. Uh, sixty point guard squads with Laz cannon, plasma gun, plasma pistol, power sword, voxcaster. They need to be respected. Uh, I've been playing around with a list with twelve units of that, and all of a sudden having like. 36 plasma gun shots between the plasma pistols and the plasma guns and 12 las cannons. They auto wound on sixes to hit. Like that is actually like a significant buff for guard. So 12 units of guard equipped that way is 720 points. I still have almost 1300 points of stuff left over. I did the math the other night and they have like, I think it was like 35 or 30 points of old upgrades added onto them. And it was a five point increase to the squad. Like I think that's almost is almost a bigger change than the uh, sixes auto wound to hit. Okay, Mike, thoughts? Yeah, it's very very interesting. I think you know we're obviously going to see more guard squads. I I only have one you know I guess a gripe a small issue with the auto wounding on sixes. I'm I'm mildly concerned that now that people are looking for ways to abuse so to speak that rule, we're going to see people run in a lot of guard squads you know 12 guard squads is a lot of models we're going to see a lot of people run in a lot of conscripts cadian conscripts double shooting you know 120 las gun shots um that is a big time consumer in a game you know it's not going to be all that entertaining for the person watching you roll 120 dice and then yeah. that's before you move on to the second unit um and i don't imagine it's that entertaining for yourself as well however i will say that auto wounding on sixes is far more significant than people might take it to be on the face of things um you know if you've hit and you, that's wounded you don't have to worry about the second half of probabilities when it comes to wounds so 
significant buff, mildly concerned um, because it affects las guns, which I don't think it should. Um, that I've got concerns, but I think it's a great thing for the army. I don't think Mike's a true guard player. Rolling 120 las gun shots is the best part of playing guard, and I'll vengeance for Cadia and kill that chaos knight. <laughs> Fair enough. I, uh, you know, and and the the idea of when upon reading that rule of me just slapping an additional flamer on every single one of my crisis suits, jumping in and torching 120 guardsmen does not hurt my feelings at all. I am more than willing to do that. So you know, thank God for chess clocks. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Yeah, absolutely. If you are going to play against an Admech player, at, I mean, or I mean, an Astro Militarum player, and they are playing infantry heavy, if you don't tell them we're playing a clock, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So, absolutely, everybody, if you just start playing with a chess clock, get used to it, learn learn to play with it. It doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, and it will save you a lot of heartache later. So, uh, all right. So, um, let's move on from from that one. Uh, uh, custodies, are we pouring one out? Are we not going to see golden boys on the table anymore, Matt? Okay. I could do an hour long discussion about the obsec thing. Um, <laughs> well, we don't have time for that, but, but I will say the changes to the stratagems, I a hundred percent agree with. Um, as far as the obsec thing goes, I just think it was a core part of the identity of custodes. Um, Kasoyes is a low model count army that played objectives. Like it, that was their style of play, and so many other armies have obsec on non-troop choice units. Uh, you got like um, Scarab Occult Terminators. You got the Death Guard Terminators. Now you have so many armies that give obsec to other units. I don't think that was the problem with Custodes, and I think that actually really hurt them more than it should have. I would have much preferred point increases or something else other than this. Uh, so that's actually been a huge bummer. I think Custodes still have some play, but that was, in my opinion, not the way I would have wanted them to go. Fair enough. Uh, Nick, the, the AdMac stuff that's in the data slate, nothing there is new, correct? Um, no, it's all uh, the same. What I would say um, real quick on the Custodes before we move off that is... Yeah, go ahead. I do feel it was a little heavy-handed. I played some Custodes, but I think it's okay because they can walk it back if they want. Um, there's I, the identity issue that was spoke about there, and they have few units, so specifically the bikes got nerfed pretty hard. And when it brings this into transition into AdMech, so there's no changes in the AdMech data slate, but it may be time to revisit some of those. Because what I wonder is, what with Custodes, as the other books came out, you were starting to see them not perform as well as in events. And it makes me wonder with some of the other things that have been adjusted for the meta, if there's an opportunity to bring some of those things back up, like how would they perform in those uh, against those armies now with their old rules that have been walked back. So I really hope in the future they look at maybe walking back some of the admin stuff that they did because Lucius is a good example. They basically have given that to other armies. Um, and now if Lu they had it, it wouldn't be any different than what the other armies have. So that's what I would say with the admin stuff. With some of the customers. Okay. Kyle. 
Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I've not come across a custodians player that's had a bad painted or an airbrushed army. Uh, it seems to be a very labour of love with custodians. And I think it's a bit harsh. They have been heavily handed, and now just bikes are just not going to be taken. So I do feel for all those admec, uh, admec. You got me saying admec now. All those uh, custodians players out there that have got these twelve beautifully painted bikes or nine bikes that they're just not going to take anymore. So I think. They've been hit on all fronts, and I think some of it 100% necessary. The other stuff I don't think was that necessary. But hey, um, like I said before, it's a living, breathing document now, so hopefully they might reel it back. Yeah. And uh, Nick, do you think it would have been perhaps better? Because most of the uh, custodes models still have, they still count as multiple models for holding objectives, right? So maybe it would have been better to take that away and instead leave them with the obsec, but they just don't count as the extra models. I think it's fundamentally the what was broken about custodes was the cheapness of their strats, how inexpensive they were. It wasn't the obsec. It wasn't being able to play the mission because they need to because they're low bottle count to do that. So um, all they needed to do was touch those strats, I think, and they would have been fine in the meta. Uh, and so that's where I think everybody's feeling it's a little heavy handed. So I would have left all of it alone. I would have just actually just chime in to start. I would have just upped the CP cost of those strats by one each and seen what happened there. And maybe bump up uh, Trajan's uh, being able to uh, gain a CP back, maybe do some adjustments to that. But when custodes don't have CP, their army just starts dying. And that's what they've done is now their army dies and they don't have a hopsec to put something out there. So bikes are off the menu for, for the most part. Wardens with bodyguard change on top of it and losing hopsec, they're kind of off the menu change. It's already a small line, so you don't have a lot of options uh, left to go out there. Me, if I had to make a choice, if I was putting together a list, I still think they're a good B-tier army. I'd be looking at the Telemons again, and I would be bringing those back in because it's still a challenge for people to deal with those. Yeah. Uh, Space Marines just had the the change to Salamanders. Um, uh, Michael, does this is this a worthwhile change? And is this something that, as a Death Watch player, you're going to want to be switching into Salamander mode um, with the... Uh, uh, army of renown ability uh absolutely this i mean i would say this single change has probably made salamanders one of the best options for space marine players at the moment you combine uh the no reroll to wound against them with something like transhuman and suddenly you're looking at nearly old custodies level of durability right especially with armor of contempt thrown on top uh from the death watch side of things uh, obviously, if you're not running the Army of Renown and you spend the CP to give your chapter trait to your unit, that only lasts to the end of the turn. Not great. But with the Army of Renown, of course, it lasts the whole battle round. Uh, and I will certainly be using that once, if not twice, uh, every game uh, against the right opponent. I think it's an absolutely fantastic uh, improvement to their durability. Um, I did just want to touch back on the Custodies thing. Obviously, they have been hit hard, um, but we mustn't forget that Losing bodyguard has hit them even harder with Trajan now not being able to stand on an objective. I don't know about anybody else who didn't play Custodes, but Trajan, I did not enjoy him sitting on an objective. Six-inch heroic intervention, you can't charge him, um, and you can't even shoot him. Um, so, yeah, he's not obsec now, and you know, taking obsec away from the characters, I don't blame them for, but perhaps they should have left the Terminators with it, um, the Wardens. Uh, anyway, 
you know, they can always improve custodians again in the future, um, but such a harsh hit can be very disheartening uh, for players who spent a lot of time on such a small-sized army. Yeah. Ben? Uh, a lot of armies couldn't deal with the custodes because of the no rerolls to to wound. Now they've given it to a whole army. I, I, I think it should have been minus one to wound rather than just flat. You can't do anything because... Like to remove salamanders now for some armies is going to be with armor of content, it's going to be really, really difficult. Like, I'm just thinking from a like, Kai point of view, I've only really got the incubi because they don't need to reroll to wound. Um, but things like grotesques, you can't reroll to wound. You're AP2 unless you go Pacific uh, Covenant of the 12 to get AP3, and then they're going to buff the saves back. And terminate. It's going to be really difficult to remove these um, armies. I, I would have preferred minus one to wound on the Sally's and the Sisters trait instead of just flat can't do anything because that was the problem with Custodes. That's got like bashed out the game for Custodes and just given to. Well, you're just going to get like they're going to be like Salamander Custodes, just minus one toughness. <laughs> like, I'm on in, Ben's side. And I in, agree the, with ben. in the Salamander book, there's ways to get like. You can get a character up to toughness seven. Uh, he's minus one to wound innately. You can't re-roll to wound against him. He's going to be worse than Trajan sat in the middle of the board. It's just <laughs> some combat armies are just going to look at him and go, how do I kill him? <laughs> you know, that was just my thought on it. I just think it's a little bit, it was like, obviously this trait doesn't work anymore because of arm contempt. What can we do? And obviously they went, oh, just give no re-rolls. But when you actually look at all the, the choices, like I think it's very powerful. They've got a toughness eight dreadnought from Forge World. You can't re-roll to wound against him. Ashmantle is just gonna stand somewhere and be like, how you know, how'd you kill him? Some armies just can't. You know, that's my thoughts on the uh, on the marine change. Yeah, and I just wanted to also add that um easily missed Salamanders do have a stratagem for plus one to save against damage one. And that's in addition to the Gravis specific stratagem for plus one to save uh, against damage one so not only have they got this no reroll wounds potential higher toughness uh toughness eight vehicles like gladiators that kind of thing you got these other ways of buffing your your save as well they're going to be very hard to kill and that goes back to the feel bads of what why am i why do i even bother so um, hopefully maybe we'll you know we'll see how that play tests out um there's definitely some some potential horror uh uh, scenarios you guys have, have thrown out there that I hadn't thought of, uh, but hope you know. As as Kyle says, it's it's a living, breathing document now. This is a you know this is something that can can be revised. So even if if uh, for everybody out there listening, if you are listening to this and you're thinking, oh God, no, not this, no, it's the end of the world. Dogs and cats living together, etc. Um, just remember it 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 will get changed and things will continue to be adjusted. You know, on an ongoing way. So. Um, I won't waste time. We won't waste time talking about the Chaos Space Marines. They didn't get anything new. Uh, but Death Guard, Terminators getting obsec. Michael, how happy does that make you? Well, I mean, I've only recently become a Death Guard player, I suppose, for the channel. Um, it doesn't, you know, from a competitive standpoint, um, I probably wouldn't play Death Guard. Um, they're not my playstyle, but. I never, I can't say I always enjoyed playing against Death Guard. Um, the, the minus one damage, you know, lots of Terminators. Thank God Bodyguards changed for Death Child. 
but now that they've got the, the ignoring a pip of AP and the obsec on top of that, we're going to see Death Guard Terminators absolutely everywhere. There's armies of 20 plus Terminators going to be termin- turning up and they don't lose anything uh, from taking any troops or anything because they've still got that objective secured. Matt, or is, um, uh, is this something that craft worlds are going to struggle with just, or is it going to be like interacting with dark angels? So actually this is something else a tiny bit. I, uh, I actually own a small death guard army. I mean, who doesn't after all the starter sets that uh, they've come out with? Um, I actually think death guard are now just better custodes. Um, you have obsec on all your terminators. You have the same toughness, same save, same invulnerable save, and you reduce damage by one. Um, with all of their like, um, I don't know the name of the medic dude. Um, I, I haven't really touched Death Guard too much, but I'm actually looking at starting them after this uh, update because, as a custody player, um, with the nurse that they got and the buffs that Death Guard got, I think Death Guard are just actually just better custodes with the reducing ap by one and the minus damage and obsec terminators ben yeah well, just before when i used to play death guard i'd just kill all the box walkers as fast as i could and the game's yours because then you just tell obsec onto the objectives and they don't score any points i mean the only reason i don't think they'll be as bad is as long as you stay 17.1 inches away from Death Guard, you can't get hurt. They, Their shooting's not great. And then when you go in, the only guy that... The only thing I'm not looking forward to playing is the um, Blight Spawn with 10 Death Shrouds around him saying, you don't count as charging. <laughs> That's not going to be fun now it's obsec. So they can definitely make a couple of objectives very difficult to get to now. It's like I've played Death Guard a lot at events. I would never lost with um, Alves because we're so fast. But now it's added another another you've almost got a sacrifice units now to kill their obsec to be able to take the objectives back. I think it's a great change for them. And it sort of brings a faction because the last balance slate they upped the points on the playbus mortars, which were their best unit um at the time. It kind of killed the faction, and now it's sort of brought them where they're all going to play again. I mean, I think the event on the weekend's got like eight or ten Death Guard players now, whereas probably before this, you might have two. Yeah, just just to jump in. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. I think the Plague Burst Mortar went down, did it not? But I think the Terminators went up and the Blight Spawn went up, if I'm not I must mistaken. have got it the wrong way around, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. again, the, the Plague Burst Crawlers now... Shooting in directly. Yeah, not as good anymore. No. You want more Terminators. Yeah, everybody's going to have to rethink their Death Guard list construction. So, uh, all right. Um, I won't, uh, other than, um, I'm I'm sure uh, Ben would say that uh, Korn needs to be restored to uh, uh, Talos and Kronos. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think what we should bring back the uh, Dark Techno Liquifiers, please, for the uh, Armour of Contempt rule, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, I think I think Jakari's um, actually come out of it okay. We, we hated indirect fire. We hated playing it. I think now you're just going to see... I think you might bring a squad of Blood Brides back to get that AP4. If you go into the te- Tessa skill um, cult, you can get AP4 on fives and sixes to wound. So... With just a load of attacks, 40 or 50 attacks, depending on what straps you use. 
But I think the army will divert to, similar to what I was playing before, you'll get lots of, I think every list will have 15 to 25 Incubi in it because you get an AP 3 or 4, damage 2 or 3. Drazar will be in there, plus 1 to wound, because then you don't care about um, Salamanders being, you can't reroll because you're just going to get plus 1 to wound. And then I think you'll see lots of grotesques as well because not much can shoot them out of line of sight anymore so they can hide and move across the board. So I think it'll just, I don't, what I think you'll you'll see disappear from the game is you'll see, I don't think you'll see any Helions anymore. Like being stock AP1, just armor of content just means, I mean, even before they were struggling to kill five Space Marines, they're just not going to kill anyone now. Um I think racks, you'll see everyone will put uh, the electroclosive whips on them. I was putting them on anyway. They're five points, but it gives a single guy six attacks, poison, AP3. I think you're just looking through your book now of what cheap AP3 combat or shooting weapons have I got, like disintegrator cannons for the shooting. You're not like the way I looked at the armor of contempt rule is what is AP1? What can I get rid of that's AP1? Like witches are pretty bad now. AP one, you need them to be the blood brides. So that's how I went through it as an army in general. Just incubi is the best unit in the book still. All right, uh, Nick Necrons. Uh, obviously, they didn't get any change in this data slate. But the did you find the 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 adding of cord, all the canoptic stuff? Is that uh? Did that shift the Necrons? Should we start seeing more Necrons coming in with all these changes? Um, the Necrons, like, it helped uh, when they got the core and everything, but the, what just happened was with all the other buffs in this data slate, everybody else got better, and therefore Necrons got worse, right? So I think they were on the trajectory to start seeing more play and doing things. I mean, there's been some really good players playing um, Necrons and doing well with them. Uh but uh, every, they just got harder for them with the status late uh, change. So um, they're still costly on their characters. Um, and there's some other things that uh, make them challenging. So, yeah, I think they were on the right path getting core. It helped. But now they just took a step back with everybody getting better. Yeah, I think we can probably all agree that um, it, when, once they're done g- giving everybody ninth edition codex, if they're going to do a re-up, Necrons should be at the top of that list. They're, the protocol, command protocols doesn't work nearly as good as some of the, the the newer versions of that kind of a rule. And like you said, a lot of characters need to be repointed. So hopefully they'll be the first one to get a, a version two, a two, a 2.0 codex for ninth edition. Uh, Harlequins, Matt, I know you're, you're, you're primarily a craft world player, but you've got the, you know, I know you know that book backwards and forwards. So what are your thoughts on the Harlequins changes? Um, I think they were all needed. Um, the, Biggest um, thing that I'm happy with is the, um, the the Void Weavers going up to 130 points. Uh, I think if you bought nine Void Weavers, you're a bad person. Um, <laughs> bad human. I bad, take yeah. offense to that, Matt. <laughs> you didn't buy them. No, no, I got to... You mean if you 3D printed nine Void no, Weavers? No, I've got... I'm serious. So at Adepticon, I took eight Void Weavers and five transports, um, and I took a picture 
of all my boxes where I had bought them. So when I was at the table, I could show somebody, here's all the empty boxes. I actually put it in our team chat and everybody's getting the like, it's like, this is my retirement fund. Um, I will say that there is one thing I'm slightly concerned about. Um, Dark Harlequins were never bad. And they got pretty much completely untouched from the changes. Like, Dark Harlequins were were still really strong, just Light Ones were so much stronger. Um, the transport going up 15 points, I think it was, is the only thing that really affects Dark Harlequins, and that is definitely the route I think most Harlequin players are going to be going then. Yeah, they're just going to be leaning into, into melee combat. Now, are they... I don't know the stats as well for, for Harlequins. Are they... Um, do they have the AP options or availability to them to deal with Armor of Contempt? Uh, they're, with their special weapons, they're AP minus two in combat, so it'd be AP minus one against Marines, which is not terrible, but it's not great. Yeah. But they have stratagems that can offset that, and Dark Harlequins also increase the AP by one. Ah, okay. So they'll be AP two into Marines instead of AP three. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember because when Steve and I did the, the Harlequin... Uh, review a few weeks ago. He had the book and I didn't, so um, I couldn't remember. All right. uh, And then moving on to obviously the greatest faction. We saved the best for last. uh, The Tau Empire. Um, Kyle, core, broadsides. So what? Your your thoughts. I'm I'm really not bothered um, because I'd say that they've done the similar treatment to broadsides as they did with the last chickens in Admech. And there's still use if you really like them. You can just take single units with Taucept, free reroll to hit or wound. So they're not dead. They just can't be spammed anymore just to put SMS and SMS battery, SMS in direct fire, indirect fire. It's no longer just auto-include for that purpose and purpose alone. So many streams you see a unit of three broadsides because they're infantry behind a big L on terrain. Firing in direct with a one plus save with a five up feeling no pain from the ethereal. So again, that stops. Good. The changes for Tau, for me, it's 90% good, 10% raging. Like I am absolutely livid about this 10%. And Michael's Michael's laughing, he knows why I'm livid. So <laughs> all of the other changes, the AP, um, yeah, cool. That's fine. Not bothered. Karma contempt, okay. Um, I was a little bit worried to a point. I was thinking, okay, so they've just gained effectively an extra save. And I'm also lower uh, AP by one. But with the coordinate engagement and uh, there's now a warlord trait you can take um, through unit devastation for an aura of six inches extra AP on 60 to wound. So there's ways around it. I think that the, they were too heavy handed on far sight enclaves. They didn't stop the allied world thing that you could do with taking an ethereal which i was expecting to go but yet they targeted farsight stared at him and went your aura has gone from 12 your ability has gone from 12 to 9 i think that was a little bit lazy because what they were trying to tackle was just tau players using drop zone clear drop zone clear drop zone clear be within 12 hitting on threes re-rolling everything non-interactive i shoot i kill you're sad what they should have done is said when you're using drop zone clear or coming in from deep strike, you can't use your sceptability. That would have fixed it because it 
affects units that you're now thinking of taking that maybe you once weren't thinking of taking. So ghost kills. If ghost kills are wanting to use a tactic to come on from um, with wall of mirrors, come from like strategic reserve, they can no longer hit on threes. They can hit only on fours with no access to rerolls. So it's like, hang on a minute. You've affected the abusers, shall we say, um, but you've nerfed other units that are now going to be taken because of the shift in the meta. So I think it was a little bit of um, lazy rules writing. I think they could have done a bit more, but like I said before, it's a living and breathing document. I'm sure they might alter it. Um, but overall, the tower changes. I think Kion is now finally going to see some play. I've done all my practice games um, as Kion, and I absolutely love it. It's changed the way I play. It's brought the book to life. I'm taking units and characters to work in conjunction with how they work in the fluff but also finding little plays to do with them, like Pathfinders combined with the firing and fading, with Crisis Suits, Dark Strider, all that kind of thing. So I think it's great. It's forcing you to use a really well-written book, to be honest. It's a balanced book, um, and it's forcing you to you know, actually think rather than just point, click, and shoot. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's pretty much mine in, in a nutshell. Yeah, I agree. I, I was never one to lean into Farsight Enclaves, but I, I, I agree and I understand your point. It, that it was it was an overcorrection, like you know, perhaps the admec obsec or the uh, custodies uh, obsec change was. It was a little overhanded. Hopefully they'll they'll heavy handed. They'll dial it back. I also think that the I felt like the Monka thing was maybe a little much, but like you said, there's still coordinated engagement. There's still other ways to get the AP. I do like. Um, the with Kalyan, I do like because I I was curious. I'm like, there's there's got to be a way to play Kalyan and make it a bit more functional. I like the idea of you know having um, uh, a, a stealth team or a, a ghost kill, you know, that you're holding in kind of the backfield or you're not doing much with, and then you wall of mirrors them in turn four or turn five, just have them pop up. And now with those exploding force and fives and sixes they're putting out a massive wall of fire and they, they're going to be, that's a fun trick to pull off that it's not, it's not cheesy. It's not a feel bad. It's just a, Hey, I held this unit back or I was maybe a little cagey with it through the most of the game. Now he's going to jump on you and I'm going to make the most of it. And, you know, maybe be able to pull a last minute play to get some points or something. Well, that's the thing. What you're going to see now, and it's something that I've been really enjoying is actually using the exemplar of Kyan with Shadow Sun with the three redeploys. You can actually go past the normal cap of strategic reserves. So you can effectively play with very minimal on the board and play the kind of cat and mouse game. But those, the secondary that um, is decisive action with Tau, uh, exemplar of Kion, hold three in turn three, you get four points, turn four, five, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get 12 points. But that's when your efficiency is going to be the most aggressive. Turn three, exploding sixes, fives, and fours on the three turns that you need to hold your three objectives. So, and being able to redeploy in strategic and play that game where you can deploy your army in a way that forces your opponent to deploy differently and then just go, guess what? Redeploy. You know, Eldar and Harlequins have been doing it for years. <laughs> and I've always looked and gone, I wish I had that ability. And guess what? We got that ability, but I was like, but Monkar's better. Let's do Monkar <laughs> and didn't yeah. do all the redeploys. I was like a poor man's redeploy with just one unit going, okay, I'll redeploy my stealth suits away now because I didn't get first turn. Now it's you get to play Kion style and I'm really looking forward to it. I've had a couple of practice games and I'm loving it. And uh, I think I'm just a little bit 
um, sad to see my favorite army go um, away, which is Farsight at the moment. It's all Tau sets. Yeah. I will say that if somebody tries to play Kalyon and play Exemplar of the Kalyon against me with a Borkan triple Storm Surge list and they try to put three Storm Surges into a strategic reserve, I will slap the taste out of their mouth. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't do that. That's just, that's no. It's legal. Uh, I know it's legal. All right. Uh, and then obviously the, the, just a quick note for those that hadn't noticed it, the GW kind of, um, you know, did it without, with a little fanfare. They had taken out the Knights and Chaos Knights uh, adjustments from the last data slate. And then two days ago, they re, uh, they redid the data slate and put those back in. I think it was just an accidental deletion. So that's, that's fixed. So we're going to get going kind of long, but I just want to touch real briefly on the uh, content validity uh, change that they did, which was um, Psychic Awakening. Uh, most of those books are no longer valid. All the Psychic Awakening books from 8th edition, they're out unless um, the respective codex, uh, the respective faction doesn't have a uh, 9th edition codex yet. So Chaos Marines, Astro Militarum, uh, Agents of the Imperium, Knights, Chaos Knights, Chaos Demons, uh, and then, of course, the creations of Bile as a, as a tack on to, to Heretic Astartes. Those Psychic Awakening sections are still uh, valid. All the other Psychic Awakening books are now officially uh, gone. So um, in case uh, Kyle or I was thinking, hey, we can just start using CP to bring in marker, additional marker light tokens. No, we can't. Um, not, don't say I didn't think about it. Um, now, the, the more important thing, the, the big change everybody was asking, all the podcasts, people were calling in, all the stream games, people, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Yes, people, Crusher Stampede is all gone. They have, they have officially declared the Crusher Stampede is gone. Uh, we don't obviously have any of our, our Tyranid faction experts here today, but um, uh, Matt, does this in any way make you sad at all? Um. It makes me a little sad. I actually do play Tyranids as well. I have a lot of armies, but uh, it's definitely needed. It was one of the best changes they probably could have made uh, because uh, I think new Tyranids are uh, a bit overtuned, to say the least, and having all those extra buffs from the other books on top of it would have been a bit ridiculous. Yeah, and Steve and I are going to, uh, I think next week or the week after, we're going to finally get to, to going through the Tyranid Codex, but um, that and the Codex Supplement Leviathan, that's out too. Um, uh, Nick, any thoughts on the uh, on the Tyranid uh, removal of those other supplements? Not not on the Tyranids in particular. I think it's uh, it's a good thing. Um, but I did like seeing big bugs on the table, even if it was strong. It's just still a cool thing to see at events. Um, I would say with that document, though, one of the big things that hasn't got talked about much is it showed all those supplements going ending at the end of the year. And so in uh, January 23, so that means you're from an ADMIC perspective, the Skatari veteran cohort and all of those army notes of renown are dropping off at the end of the year, which is interesting. Are we going to see new stuff before then, or is it that date going to get pushed or what's going to happen? But that was something that was really a surprise that they actually pinned a date on some of those other supplements. Uh, and then the, I don't know why they repeated that the Psychic Awakening Death Watch and Psychic Awakening Harlequins. Oh, that was from the White, this, cause those were in White Dwarf issues. Um, so those are gone too. Um, and the old Ser Tyranid Hivemind Synaptic Link is gone because we have the new Synaptic, what's it called? Imperatives. 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 That's it. Synaptic Imperatives. Thanks guys. Um, Ben, you had something else you wanted to throw in there? 
I'm just glad that Crusher's gone. What <laughs> <laughs> one more week of it? We've got one more weekend where it's in, um, and I think it had to go before the new codex gets played because if you combine the two, it would have been absurd. I mean, I think the game's at the best place it's been in a while, like now. Obviously, I think we're going to need a, a quick fix on a few of the Tyrannid things because a couple of their things are very, very strong without going into them too much here because you're going to do that on the, the next uh, episode. But there's a lot of... The game got changed with this update to take away some of the inner inactivity in no interaction between the players. And there's a lot of that in the Tyrannic book. You can attack and just leave. So I think that'll need sorting next. But if they sort that fairly sharpish, I think the game's at the best it's been in a long time. And you can look forward to playing it. Cool. All right, Mike, last thought? Yeah, so uh, obviously Crush is gone. Uh, you know, the biggest thing is the the army-wide invuns for the whole game, the minus one damage. Uh, and of course, Leviathan supplement's gone. Uh, and that was big because of the, the objective secured you could give to these monsters that counted as their number of wounds on objectives. That's now gone. But obviously, the new book, you know, there's lots of, lots of interesting and very powerful ways for it to function. Um, so dealing with one book on its own is fine. We've lost Crusher and Stampede. I think the timeline's actually really good for players. You know, I wouldn't want to get to December and decide, oh, I want to play as Admech and then think, I'm going to buy all this stuff for the Skitari veteran cohort. And then next month it's gone. It's nice to have a timeline to know when, you know, when the fun's going to end. I'm a big fan of the Deathwatch Army Renown. I know that my fun's going to end in December with it. And that's fine. You know, you can prepare yourself ready to leave those rule sets behind. Uh, it's it's great to see such fluidity from both a balanced data slate and now this new document. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, just a last... Uh, well, actually, now we're going to go to the Battle Ready segment with uh, James from Seed Studios. Okay, welcome back, James. Thanks for having me back on. No worries. Right. Okay, another question for you. Washing. Okay, so I want to know the difference between just using like a general wash or maybe I've heard of people using a pin wash. What's the difference? How do I use them? How much should I be diluting them? I want to know about washing and all the best tips. Cool. Okay. Uh, so washing is the process of adding shading or contrast onto a miniature. And I'm not talking about the paints, contrast paints, just purely adding shadows onto miniatures. Um, and obviously we've all, we were all taught in the early days, obviously just, just put it all over the miniature. Um, but it's a little bit counterintuitive doing it that way, purely because uh, you're trying to add shadow into the recesses or deepest places on the miniature. So there's no need to cover the, 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 the higher parts or the parts that should be brighter in that wash. Um, henceforth, why there's a technique called pin shading um, uh, or line shading, whichever you prefer. Um, that involves accurately and precisely placing that shading into the re areas that are required. So you'd get your model. Let's go my fanboy moment and get a go Blood Angels. You'd paint the models, undercoat them black, paint them with fist and red, probably put on another red on top, a brighter red. Um, and then what you would do is you would then gloss varnish the miniature. All right, so the reason why we gloss varnish the miniature once we put our final armor color on is to essentially decrease the surface tension on the um, on the on the miniature, which means that when we get a brush loaded with some wash and, and put it strategically in a place, it will not only run because it's a slipperier surface because it's less surface tension, um, and uh, and it will allow it, that that paint to move around the the recesses controlled with the brush, and you can place it exactly where you want. So it's a much more refined execution. Looks way sharper and way neater. 
Uh, and most importantly, you're not using loads of wash, just placing it everywhere all over the model. We're all taught from a very young age to, to do it in that way. Uh, and it's great for, for getting instant shadows onto miniatures, uh, you know, uh, and great for using loads of paint, but not so good if you want to keep the model red and just put a bit of shadow into an area and save you time. Um, and, and they're the two real main differences. Um, again, horses for courses. If you're trying to get an army on the table within a week, do whichever do whichever route you prefer but obviously your, your bulk sort of washing and just snapping it on is going to get that shadow on way quicker maybe not as controlled your pin shading is way more refined takes more time obviously and you need to obviously use an airbrush or you know or a can varnish which i don't necessarily recommend because can varnish is going to be quite temperamental i'd always recommend airbrushing a gloss varnish on and then pin shading uh, that's my go-to when it comes to adding shadows onto miniatures as opposed to just slapping loads of wash on obviously if we're talking about a large metallic area then I'd probably cover it in wash and obviously do it that way. If if you're trying to keep an armor color a color, then I wouldn't snap wash on it, if that makes sense. So use the two, again, like dry brushing when I spoke in a previous episode, like choosing the technique for the task at hand. It's the same sort of thing. You know, if you're, if you're just wanting to tone down the whole area, then obviously applying it in the normal way is, is the best way of doing it. If you're looking for shadow in a specific recess or point on the model, then obviously pin shading is way better suited to the task. Yeah, amazing. So one quick more question for you. When you're trying to, you know, get your models done quickly, is there a way to let these guys dry faster? Or Because obviously if you use a hairdryer, it just sort of forces all the wash into one area. Um, yeah, yeah. a low setting. This is why I recommend a cheap budget hairdryer because the lowest setting on like a £7, £8 Tesco, Amazon hairdryer won't push the paint around, but it will dry it. Um, the other thing you can do is work the other way around. So heat the miniature and then paint um that, that works quite well as well so that as you're painting it dries as you're placing it oh that's a great tip no but james that's awesome i'm gonna definitely try that i haven't tried the gloss uh technique first in what i've ended up sometimes with is when i've tried to do a pin wash i've ended up with like a streaky line on my paint where you yeah it, yeah yeah it's that's that's because it's just because of the texture of the paint and that you're applying on yeah if you uh, the other thing is obviously with gloss varnishing you can always matte it and satin it afterwards when you've done everything and return it to the property and the finish that it was before um but it, it just adds a layer of protection to the paint so if you do pick up the models by the miniature rather than the base um you're not going to affect the paint job amazing yeah we don't often do this but i mean i found so many of your tips to be so useful james if people want to get some more of these tips where's the best place to send people because i think you know you you've come on every single week so kindly and answered so many but you've got a patreon right is the, are these some of the things that you cover on that yeah 100 so we, we go into way more depth on all, all the techniques uh, processes um color recipes um everything you could think of in, in there and thereabouts so obviously we've got techniques from pretty much every faction you could think of in, in 40k and age of sigma necromunda uh, and on top of that we have key sort of core competency technique uh tutorials as well so we break down these these specific techniques that perhaps you may be struggling with or want to understand a bit better in in these techniques in these sort of on patreon as well um obviously now post pandemic we our physical classes are returning around the uk so we, we are going to be teaching all over the uk in different venues again um which obviously we'll do this face-to-face in-person classes um and then obviously should you be in another country and not able to attend those physical classes we also offer online one-on-one tuition that can be purchased from our web store um as well so there's there's multiple different means of learning from us and, te- and us teaching you how to obviously improve your, your painting game um so yeah and that can all be found either at www.siegestudios.co.uk uh, or, on, or on any of our social media platforms that you may or may not follow yeah i'm getting signed up all right james thank you very much and we'll see you next week see you next week all right thanks james 
And uh, so uh, just a real quick before we wrap it up, um, Matt, what's the next event you're going to? Uh, the next event I'm going to, I believe, is Atlantic City or the Maryland Open. I forget which one's first. They're only a week apart, actually. So it's going to be a back-to-back GT for me. Okay. Nick, upcoming events? Yeah, my next event's uh, Motor City Mayhem up near Detroit. It's run by the Death and Glory guys, Tom Ogden's crew up there. They run a fantastic event. If you haven't seen the pictures, it's like open tables. It's one of my favorite ones to go to. So really looking forward to that. Cool. Uh, Mike? Got a Bristol GT this weekend. Uh, I think it's 200, 300, 200 people. Um, Last March of Crusher Stampede. Um, But yeah, I'm going to really enjoy myself in Bristol. Cool. Kyle? Um, I've got a small RTT that I'm helping uh, an organizer do. Um, and then I've got a major one in Birmingham next month, uh, run by, uh, Zach. So it's going to be fun. I'm going to be trying out my new town. Awesome. And Johnsy. Uh, I'm in Bristol with Mike as well on the weekend. So I'm running out, uh, 20 random race blades for a world to see how they go on. So oh, all right. a bit different. Very cool. All right, guys. Hey, thank you all of you for taking time out of your day. I know, Mike, you got to cut cut out and, and uh, get over to – you've got some Vanguard uh, tactics coaching and stuff to do, and everybody else has day jobs to get to. So thank you guys all for, for joining and doing this with me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks. Uh, that's it for this week. Next week, like I said, we're finally going to talk about the, the xenomorph infestation that's coming for all of us uh, with the Tyranid Codex. Tune in to hear about uh, all the important things you need to know to play as or play against uh, to deal with the oncoming evolution. Uh, Until then, uh, this is Dave Calmel for the entire staff at Vanguard Tactics saying, back off, man. I'm a scientist. Thanks, guys. Thanks.